0: Hello and welcome to Artbox DNV, I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I talked to Bard Iveson. Bard is a digital artist whose work is inspired by Nam Joon Park and John Cage, as well as many others. His work is a blend of tangible, sensory, electronic, and spiritual worlds with a dose of artificial intelligence. We talk about Bard's most recent series, as well as themes that can be found in his work, along with the impact of AI. So with that, sit back, relax. And enjoy the interview. Let's get this going, right? Okay, great. Well, thanks again for coming. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's great to meet up with you finally face-to-face, by the way. Instead yeah, of over the phone I've like been, last time. <laughs> yeah, we've been locked away for from COVID for a while now. Yeah, and it's nice to kind of start to emerge from that shell, you know? Mm. Things are starting to get back to normal what you been up to since the last time we talked?
1: Well, I've been making more art. I did a lot more generative art since we last talked. I got on a, this platform called Art Blocks and writing code that generates art. And uh, when people come and mint a piece of the art with the NFT, it's an NFT platform. But they get a unique version of it. I wrote the code and then it uses the token number to randomly generate what it will look like. So it's uh, a little bit different than um uh, something you prepare beforehand and present in a way. It kind of is random. You don't know what's gonna come out. But did one I was kind of inspired by my daughter and by uh kind of the DC color school. But oh, it's got a lot of shapes yeah. and uh colors, different colors in it. And then another one that's more um inspired by the I Chang and uh, trigram symbols and it kind of is animated and is uh, interactive it'll uh, put different symbols in planet symbols or gender symbols will appear and you can move them around and kind of draw your own art on top of my art it was fun to do and uh, it's uh, kind of interesting to play around with
0: so it's like a building of layers. When someone comes on, they'll, they can add something that you've done, they can add to their own, Well, it, and then they, they can mint it as an NFT for themselves? Or? Well,
1: they what happens is they come in, and some of them look like flowers, and basically when you generate it, it generates with different shapes or different colors, depending on what you get randomly. Oh, okay. But a lot of them have a, a Unicode symbol in them. Like uh, I put the symbol for Venus, the symbol for Mars, the symbol for non-binary so
0: is this like uh using the roman symbols or is this the greek symbols or is this
1: all of them it's only a few oh it's it's mainly the symbols used for planets it's like you know the the homosexual symbol and the heterosexual symbol those symbols yeah they will appear in the center of the artwork and then using your if you have a touch screen you can move the symbol around and it'll actually draw a trail As you move it, it draws a trail of, like, the remnant of you moving it. As it rotates around, it creates patterns. So let me make sure I understand. So
0: it's like if I were to draw, let's say, just a straight line, and it starts to rotate the line itself or just— Yeah,
1: it's rotating. You move it, and it rotates. So it's moving. You have limited control. You kind of have to see it to kind of grasp it. But it just has this element in it that you use the keyboard to move it to. Oh, okay. It's all with JavaScript and a, a library called uh, PS5J. PS5J. I'm going to look that up if you don't mind. Uh, I think that's what it is. It's a JavaScript library. Okay. Written specifically for making art. but So it has things like draw a circle and make it this radius. It has very simple commands like that, and it has if statements and loops Oh. And so you code in what you want it to do. Wow. So you can draw with code, basically. Yeah, that is pretty hot. I mean, the, the traditional way of doing generative art is that the artist will write the code and generate a thousand images, and then they'll curate it. I see. And they'll pick one or two and sell them or put them on exhibition. In this model, write your code, and it has to... Every time somebody generates a new one, it has to be a good one. So there's no curation on it. I have to kind of code the curation in. It's a lot of trial and error looking for the the best parameters. I have to kind of contain the code so it doesn't go off and do something wild and ugly. (laughs) But sometimes it randomly generates something ugly and I can't control it. That becomes a rare in the NFT space that becomes this rare item becomes more popular because it's rare.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's different from the usual norm. Right. But then it's also, uh, cause you know, I'm kind of big with aesthetics and the philosophy of it, you know, it's also uh, one person might think of something as ugly is also something that is beautiful. So.
1: Right. Right. And I, I kind of like playing with the idea of mistakes or the, the idea that you put something broken in the art to, not offend the gods or, you know, <laughs> you don't want to make it too perfect. Right, because
0: if you made it too perfect, then it would be perfect. Right. So what else have you been doing?
1: I've also been working on the more uh, style GAN, artificial intelligence art. It's more around gas masks. I took thousands of pictures of gas masks and generated faces with it and trained a, an AI model. And is experimenting, They're trying to explore what they looked like and trying to make a story around them. And I came up with this idea of the knights of the apocalypse. They look kind of apocalyptic. Yeah, they do look a little scary, I admit. But it is pretty cool to watch them morph. I will say that. Right. They call it a latent space walkthrough. It's a way of moving through the matrix inside the AI model. The model is like a five-dimensional matrix or whatever. Each matrix, each dimension is like a color or a pixel placement. Is that assigned or is that just random? It's trained. I see. I see. When okay. you start out, it's static. Ah. When you start out an AI model, when you train it, it's just static. Okay. And as it learns, it moves pixels around until it comes to some model of its world based on the the training data I'm pushing into it.
0: And if I remember last time we talked, because I asked you about that question, how long does it take for the AI? And you would say it would take months.
1: Uh, Yeah, I was working on an older models then. Oh, I see. What I do is I train it on an existing model that's already built, a face model. There's open source face models that are trained on human faces that were trained from open source, commercial, free, licensed people's faces. Right, okay. And I take that model and build on top of it. Uh, So the model already knows what a face is. I'm training it how to make it look like a face with a gas mask on it. Wow. I have to stop and think about that for a minute. It's so like it takes a couple – it takes like eight hour. Uh, I don't know, a couple hours to train. Oh,
0: so this is a lot faster than the previous stuff you've done. Yeah, I see. yeah. Wow. So, yeah, because now you're able to, uh, I guess, turn out the work as it's
1: – or <yeah>. it does? <laughs> yeah. It involves a lot of digging, looking through the different images in still form, just not moving. And I pick out the ones I like and then experiment with how it would move between those two – points in okay. the matrix. I see. So I see. So as it it's like a camera moving through a matrix and it morphs the the face and and changes the where it's looking or the colors or what's on the face. And some look like blobs. They'll transform from a blob into a face. I tried some different concepts with them but arrived on this story about uh, five nights based on the Bible. Uh, it talks about the five ho- four horsemen of the apocalypse, is right. what it's based on. So it's like famine, war, a pestilence. Um, oh, who's the other one? <laughs> uh, famine, war. Uh, there's. I, I, I'm blanking, I'm trying man. To remember Sorry. It now, too. <laughs> I'll remember it in a little bit. But And then uh, the fifth one is just Apollyon. He's like the, the angel, one of the angels mentioned the book of Revelations. Oh, I see. Okay. He's in the kind of the prophecy of the end times he's like the angel of hell or something like that Hmm. but i just wanted five just for symmetry reasons
0: (laughs) i don't blame you i am a fan of symmetry too
1: (laughs) for you need an odd number there so
0: yeah that that's there's something about odd right i mean in terms of numbers or in even symmetrical and if you find a lot of that also in nature as well
1: you know right so it's like you're paying a, a tribute to that as well right right That generative art I was talking about before I named it eight – yeah. It has eight sides. It's um, octagon shape. It's, the art is all octagon shaped. The oh, number I see. Eight, okay. Which is lucky and in, in the Asian culture and it's uh, yeah. I Ching. And there's kind of some, some themes in there around that. You got involved with Kadef, if I recall correctly, the last time we spoke. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How uh-huh. was that experience for you? It was good. I was in their one of their online shows. They, yeah. Because of COVID, they kind of went to a, a virtual art show. They've asked me to come back and do some more stuff for them. They have a, they're coming out with a new NFT marketplace soon. I kind of got on a list for that. I haven't heard back what what's going on there.
0: But I wanted to also ask, you, you did something for, or uh, showed your work at a museum? Or yeah, I-
1: there's a couple museums that are kind of uh, grassroots, I guess. They're they're crypto art museum. Oh, okay, okay. So there's they're called Museum of the Crypto of Crypto Art. One was started by a guy in Paris who I donated artwork to his museum in crypto voxels, which is a virtual reality world where you buy land, virtual land. Oh with yes. Cryptocurrency. But he put up a museum there called museum of crypto art and built a virtual building. And uh, like in 2018, I gave him some artwork to display, but he's since expanded. He, he sold a, A prominent piece of crypto art, NFT art, for a lot of money, and he put on a show in Paris. Oh. So he set up a pop-up exhibit in a—it's like an old museum of Louis Vuitton. It was closed down, but they rent it out for other people to put their art in. Hmm. But for three days, he put on a crypto art show in Paris, so— He had my Knights of the Apocalypse. Oh, so he had some of that there. Yeah, he put all five of them up, uh, projected big on the wall. Oh, that would have been cool. And there was a couple hundred other artists there with their art. I released a whole bunch of a series of NFTs based on that. Uh, Recently, another guy, uh, well, he's been doing it for a while, Museum of Crypto Art out of New York by Colburn, I think is his name. He actually bought a church up there in New York to physically display the art. He's been in a couple magazine articles about oh, okay. He's yeah. a famous, I guess now, NFT art collector. He has a, a whole um, staff doing collecting crypto art and curating and he set up a physical place to put the art in. That was at the end of 2021, like December. So um,
0: for those who uh, have listened to your other interview, I should say, let's recap for them and for people who have just now listening to you, uh, what's the
1: SAGE anomaly and how and why uh, it was formed? A series of stories that basically came out of my first experiments with artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning art, where I took... A couple thousand images of my oscilloscope art. I drew art on an oscilloscope, and I fed all those images through an early AI model that that built very small images, 128 by 128 pixels. Yeah, it's pretty small. And so they were hard to display in big format. I released them at that size as some of my first NFT art on a place called Super Rare and one of the first images that i curated out of this batch of thousands of it i mean ai will generate a million images if you oh, want yeah i saw some patterns in there and one of them looked like sort of an alien head like a, just the outline of of a face that looked sort of alien to me so it made me think of what what's behind this image i see so i, I uh started thinking about this story about an entity, I, I've been exploring it as I go. So as I as I looked at the at the generated art, I would make up another part of the story. So oh. it's evolving.
0: So it, you were kind of like reacting to what you're seeing and and then interweaving that with a narrative or a, a story. Narrative,
1: yeah. And then uh the narrative would cause me to uh look for other patterns or try to make new art kind of explored the same narrative themes.
0: Hmm, That's actually pretty interesting. It's like, who's driving the bus, so to speak? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. it's it's very circular and iterative or recursive. But what I ended up doing is, one of the images was, I did a lot of animated GIFs with it. And being on the web, I could get away with anime. Uh, The early crypto art was, you couldn't do video. No, you could It was either GIF or JPEG. Yeah. And so uh, the animated GIF kind of spawned back to life in that culture and everybody was doing these animated GIFs yep. but very advanced ones with, at high resolutions. So I mean, 50, 50 megabyte GIF files. I came up with this story about uh, and then I incorporated some of my uh, interest in computers. I actually went down to National Archives in Maryland mm-hmm. and dug through their uh, archive looking for Information about uh, images from a computer called Sage, which oh. is uh, which is the um, you saw the light bulb above my head. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, and it was a a military computer. I'm trying to remember. Semi automatic ground environment is what it stands for, and it was a computer system in the f- started to be built in the 50s and throughout into the 80s. Is a predecessor I didn't it was to NORAD. Into the '80s. Yeah, they they had a hard time decommissioning it, but uh-huh. it, 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 they kept upgrading it. Oh, so it was a tube-based computer, vacuum tube, and uh, it was based on early IBM technology. IBM was involved with it, so they they added solid-state components to it, but it was kind of the same concept. Gotcha. But it was to watch for Russian bombers coming over the Arctic Circle, and actually. Semi automatic. It was supposed to launch mis- nuclear tip missiles and other things at these bombers coming over.
0: Didn't they have like a couple hundred of these things around the world or a They had like 24 of them, 27 oh, okay. of them <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah.
1: across the US. I see. And they had something in Iceland, but I think it was just radar antennas. One of the key places was North Bay, Canada, that I was attracted to because it's an underground bunker. I found old videos of it. I've been doing a lot of research on this computer before I even made up this story. Yeah. Just because I was interested in the technology. It was one of the first real-time computers. Oh, I didn't realize that either. It was real-time, and it was networked across the U.S. between these 27. The thing was, it took up two whole, like, warehouse-sized buildings. Yeah. It (laughs) it had two CPUs for failover. Oh, okay. And they ran concurrently, so they would error-check each other. Gotcha. But... The biggest computer ever built, even now, but there was like 27 of them spread across. And they all communicated on these old modem, you know, 100 baud modems. And,
0: you know, the one thing that always comes to mind when I think about that computer is how much heat that thing would generate. Yeah. You know, that you could definitely. Yeah, all play, these
1: tubes. Yeah, yeah.
0: All those tubes. And, and it's like, could I actually cook a hot dog on it? You probably yeah. could. Yeah.
1: You probably could. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. They used oscilloscope technology for their video screens
0: so yeah you basically you took that element and then some one of your first AI things that looked like an alien head and you started just interweaving this this
1: and it looked like a oscilloscope so it fit into so I would take these uh, to get back to I went to the archives and got all these images of the computer yeah with people sitting around it and other things I cut out holes where the screens were and put my art in there because the art was very small yeah and and one of the things I liked about that is that
0: Well, it worked that it was small, but what I liked is that it kind of could fool the eye Mm, in a mm -hmm. way because it's like, wait a minute, is this really a picture that you found with its images or was it doctored and what was doctored? And, you know, it was some, it's kind of obvious, obviously the screens, but still it kind of makes, it made me actually do a couple of quick takes to Uh make sure. It's like,
1: oh wait a minute, is he really, did he do that? Yeah. And I'm kind of playing that with that in the narrative In my narrative blog posts, I put out the story, but I interweave uh, historical documents I've found uh, kind of conspiratorially, uh, you know, picking out – kind of cherry-picking the facts a little bit. Well, it's your story. Yeah, but (laughs) uh, just to give it some historical reference. So it's kind of a a historical fiction in a way.
0: No, technically it would be historical fiction.
1: So, uh, with the kind of
0: stuff you're working on now, uh, how does the entity fit into uh, the storyline of the sage uh, normally?
1: At first, the entity, I didn't know if it was an alien or a multi dimensional being or what. It was just this thing that appeared on these computer screens, projection screens in this bunker. Over time, I developed more of the stories, I found more images in my AI work, but I finally decided that this, this, the entity was a, a triune being. They show up in th- units of three. So a lot of my new project, the Sage Anomaly, that, that you'll see three of these things. Okay, okay. So it, it's a triune being. It's one thing, but there's three parts. and. Wait a minute, hold on, that's a pretty interesting. So it's
0: three beings, but they're one part.
1: Yeah, this is more of a religious uh, imagery sort of thing, yeah. a trinity. Yeah. It, it, it's mirroring. You, you see the, where I was going with that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit yeah. is, is what it's it's playing around with, which I come from that sort of background, so I kind of, the Knights of the Apocalypse, Right. the biblical prophecy sort of motifs are in there. Now I have to ask,
0: as a kid, did it scare you? The revelations uh, at the end,
1: yeah. Well, there's the whole "break a rule and you go to hell" sort of thing. Right. So there's always this this uh, burn in hell forever sort of uh, cloud over your head. So, so
0: how many chapters are you up to now with uh, with both this new series well, and the other one?
1: I've written, I have three long blog posts about it, but the story. The story's contained in the images of the art and in the descriptions. Okay. So it's kind of scattered. Okay. It's very uh, fragmentary. And and there's this idea of uh, time displacement and multiple timelines Hmm. uh, that may be at play. Or just me forgetting what date I put on things. <laughs> you
0: no, know, it's at play. You meant to do that. <laughs> yeah,
1: kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You've got to have a cliffhanger at the end of each episode, and then right. you got to figure out how to get out of the, the cliffhanger. Hmm. Eventually, I figure out the entity is uh, from the future in a post-apocalyptic world where there are no humans, and the entity is alone in a soup of what used to be the Earth in space. And so I'm still continuing on the story. What is that about? They figure out how to travel through time and space by manipulating computer networks, which is why they come back into the 50s. They figured out how to get back in time. And they're really trying to figure out who they are. What's their origin story? Who's my parents? And in a the, way. Who created me? Yeah. And, and they're an AI entity. It's a, a general AI, an AI that has attained consciousness. I'm playing with some of the themes of that all matter maybe be conscious in a way. That, I, I, that, I could see that, that argument. there's a consciousness within all matter. I'm kind of exploring some of those ideas.
0: Kind of so, like a, a, what do you think, like chi or something like that? That kind of, the energy?
1: Yeah, the energy or uh, the animals have a certain level of consciousness. no. Yeah maybe the same level as us, and different animals seem to have different levels of consciousness. But I've been reading some stuff about maybe it goes deeper than that, maybe mm. one cell, the organisms, even have some sense of some sort of low-level consciousness. Well, some level of awareness. Awareness, yeah, mm. yeah. But, so I'm still exploring this story, but a lot of it comes from a deeper, a, a little bit deeper, It's so the story is also intertwined with some of my personal experiences in, in the story, the the person that is trying to figure out what's going on has come to an AI scientist and, and she is exploring historical documents from this computer. There's a bunch of tapes that have been left over for, and photographs and movies. They actually had a camera that they could mount onto these oscilloscope screens oh, cool. on the computer screens, yeah. a big film camera. I found on uh, in the archives. I found images of this big camera, and it would record what's on these screens. They actually had one that would take a picture of a oscilloscope screen every like two minutes, and then instant process the image in a minute, and then project it on a big screen. This is 1950s
0: technology. Yeah, I know. That's that's why I keep saying wow because it's like, I I mean I know they had the tech so to speak
1: but they could they couldn't just project things up on the wall no so they, they processed it on film yeah. in an analog form and then put it on the wall with a projector but it was like lo-fi and every minute you would see well, we so would could call see it the lo-fi. planes you could see the planes move the dots moving over the map So they could see planes flying and coming in, but every minute they would get a new image.
0: Wow. So were you able to get access to some of these images? I'm
1: still trying to find them. No. I did find one online where I think it was MIT had a recording of it. Hmm. I found some old footage of it It showing dots moving on a screen. It was from a test program they would run. In order to test the system, they would feed it all the data and watch it and see what it did. And they would train the users in how to watch for an attack. And they actually had an issue with that once where they ran the test tape instead of the live feed and they thought there was an attack. Oh, no. So it it almost caused a, you know, an international nuclear incident because they switched out the tape for the real feed. So, oops. <laughs> so there's this, this idea of automation and how far can you take automation without a human in the loop and those are new ideas I'm exploring in newer art. The idea of yeah, automatic war, automatic war and AI AI enabled weapons and and those yeah, sorts see, of things. Yeah, you see
0: you see the little squirrels in my head turning. It's like that is that is a lot to kind of break down yeah. and then to filter through to to make it a nice narrative for people to understand. That's, yeah.
1: And then the the Knights of the Apocalypse. Oh, they tie into the story. They tie into the same story because they're how the apocalypse happened. The five nations of the earth built their own AI and they set it on a dead hand system. There's this dead hand system out there, this idea, Dr. Strangelove sort of thing. Yeah. Where if the command center of the nation gets cut, these missiles launch automatically and uh so the idea that's these these nations built these ai that are set to destroy the other nation and they get launched automatically and they all trigger each other and yeah. they battle over earth and destroying it in the in the wake of that which leads to this floating mass in space where this ai and where, where the story is currently now right right
0: I don't know if I need to ask this question or it'll be a quick answer because we have been already kind of dancing around it. What inspired the imagery for the series of the entity? And you kind of explained already by some of the research you've done going out Uh to the National
1: Archives. Right. That's where I found a lot of images of the computer and other interesting archive images that end up in one of my new pieces. And I've also added the next part of the story has more about they're searching for... this. This guy's searching for his uh, grandfather who was in a hospital and was over-medicated, and he had some brain damage sort of issue, but he escaped from the hospital, and they thought he was dead. He, like, jumped out the side of the hospital, and they thought he was dead, but he actually ran off. And now we're trying to figure out where he went and how to find him, and, and he was one of the people in 1966, 64 at North Bay Canada that first encountered the entity and and he's in this hospital but the other part of the story is a similar story happened in my family with my grandfather who was uh he was in for a cancer treatment but he got over medicated and then uh they had to tie him to the bed because he was hallucinating that there was a fire there was a fire in the hospital and he had to get out so he was running the halls trying to get out wow But he, he ended up it's kind of a morbid story, but he he chewed through the, the restraints and found a vent hole and pried it open and crawled out of the hospital and fell down and basically had brain damage. And then he died sometime later on hospice care at home, but... His brain was basically kind of non-functional, Ooh, well, and, boy, yeah. and couldn't talk or eat or, or any of those things. Yeah. So, mm, well. so I'm kind of exploring a personal story at the same time. It well, it
0: really does feed into the narrative. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you do draw from personal experience. You know, right. there's countless amount of people who've done that. You know, yeah. So, let's we'll get a little bit in the uh, your approach and your process of work. All three, you know, basically. Oh, keep it odd, right? What would be the usual or unusual way you use or apply AI?
1: The usual way I'm applying it is just you take, I mean, a lot of artists in the AI space, they they grab a bunch of images and kind of just stick bare with them or grab a bunch of images of a certain type and run them through A pre-built AI model that's freely available open source and then see what happens and kind of pick some images out. I know some people have taken it and just let it generate images and you just come and people can select randomly from them or choose from them, kind of like a, a fire hose of stuff. Oh, okay. There's some platforms that do that. They'll allow you to come in and buy the artwork and you kind of have to search through it to see what find what you want to buy the more common model is more that the artist curates it and picks out the best pieces that they want maybe they do post processing on it which i do uh, usually to enlarge the image because they're usually a thousand by thousand pixels oh that's surprisingly small a thousand twenty four by thousand twenty four there's other ai models that do double that oh okay It depends on which technology you use, but typically they just use another AI model to enlarge the image. So there's AI models are very specific. There's no general AI. I have an AI that can train and learn how to make a picture of a guy in a face mask, sort of. But I have another AI that enlarges it. It's it's specific to that task. So it's a tool. It's an AI tool for specific tasks. So there's many, there's many AI tools for different purposes yeah it only does once you train a certain model it only does one thing yeah or a few things it can't do everything and there's a lot of edge cases and like it can make a face but the eyes are always symmetrical and there's quirks about it that you can tell it's not real if you know what you're looking for if you want to fake people out, you can add some noise to it and make it look like it came from a, a cheap old camera. And you can kind of trick people by playing with their eyes. Right. Like a magic trick. Right. You, it's not real, but you can manipulate people and use it for propaganda or for advertising or for right any and, number of purposes. And then you have we, that term deep fake. and Deep fake, but it's part of its education knowing what you're looking at and knowing that a, a lo-fi image from an old cell phone maybe shouldn't trust us as much as something from a high-end camera. Right, right. Uh, but if you build an AI model to replicate somebody's singing voice, which people are working on, it can't make an image of something. It, no. It like only you, knows sound. Right. And it only knows that one person's voice, not yeah. 20 people's voices. Uh, the unusual way I'm using say, I just very... I think I'm very unique in my curation. When I train a model, I pick out images that will throw the AI off. I don't want realism. A lot of AI images are just too realistic for me. I'm I'm going for surrealism. Okay. So I pick out strange and odd things and throw in things that aren't that. So into my models, I'll throw a bunch. If I'm doing this gas mask model, I'll throw in some hand-drawn. I drew some... I hand drew some guys in gas masks, just Mm -hmm. line drawings, and threw those in. Or I'll throw in uh, some of my oscilloscope art, a face, a gas mask face that I I threw in, or some. I did some laser. I bought a laser to do. Oh, cool! Laser art. Yeah. Uh, So I I threw some of that in there. I did some gas masks uh, with a laser. Took pictures of it and threw that in the model. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's just kind of experimenting, throwing in junk and garbage and something that's not what I'm going for, just to kind of add that. Now, uh, kind of joking,
0: but does it kind of get mad at you or groan at you when you do
1: throw random stuff at it like that? No, it just generates stuff that isn't real, doesn't look real. Okay, Okay. Like I end up with a lot of the images in the model are just blobs of weird, abstract shapes, which I use as transitions in the videos. They kind of trend when you're transitioning from a face to a blob or a... And they ended up in some of my art as the entity. Some of the blobs in there are just Uh, rejects from other models. They look like these ghost-like blobs, but they're from a model of work I did with Lawrence Lee. I did a model of, and we talked about of his last paintings yeah. yeah, last time of his shamans. And a lot of the images were just these weird blobs. So I used those as characters.
0: Uh, what are some of the th- key themes and issues that you like to
1: explore? Or have been exploring, I should say. Well, I've been exploring some of the ideas of AI and war. And uh, some of the ideas behind AI and war, automatic war, ideas about remote war, drones, kind of those sorts of things. And then I've been exploring gender identity and even gambling and luck. A lot of the NFT stuff kind of has veered off into this weird gambling, uh, tokenomics sort of world. So (laughs) one of my artworks (laughs) explores kind of what is luck? What are you born with? Your gender identity you're born with, you didn't really Choose it, right? Is that lucky? Is it unlucky? Is it? How do you uh accept that? Oh, and, or if and you how do, if you don't, impacts yeah. you and makes up who you are.
0: One of the themes that I I picked up on was this: Where is the human in, in this space, in this place? With the, the story you're telling, it's like the humans basically were the problem, and are they the solution? Uh huh. And I, I I made the assumption that that's kind of what one of the other things that you were exploring. Now, I, I don't know if that's, that's, that's just my interpretation.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm exploring the kind of the human tendency of war.
0: Yeah. And
1: what do we do about that? Or Can we do something about right. that? Right. And the idea of this entity coming back to warn people or to help people or to promote it, what is this about? Just the idea that, that maybe, maybe our creations can be more peaceful than we are. I'm kind of leaning towards the, the the AI entity kind of being better than humans in
0: some respects. And, and we'll just have to go to your website and make sure to continue to read the narrative see where that goes. Right. Yeah.
1: And it'll appear in my art uh, too. Right. The, the next piece that I'm producing is like 303 editions. I put words around the frame of the image and the words are the story, okay. but it's randomly generated. So the image you get... May be different based in the words around it. It'll come out in different combinations oh, at the wow. time that it's that it's minted, yeah. or released. I have no control over the randomness of it, but it's going to have the story embedded with the images. I consider the images, even though it may not be words. In this particular release, I have words on it, is to kind
0: of help reinforce the image, basically, right, oh, right, yeah.
1: and and kind of. Uh, Fill out the story. I mean, you don't really know from the image what's going on, so... I'm kind of trying to play with how to tell the story in a new way.
0: Well, yeah, I I think that you're heading in the right direction for that, actually. The approach you're going is almost limitless. Or, uh, I don't want to say uh, infinity, but it is Uh limitless.
1: Yeah. And I have two of the versions in the set of 303 are videos. They're video art with the words around it, so... There's a couple pieces in there that are taking the video and the story. So I kind of straddle between video and still image, digital image. Ooh, I always like that. That kind of play with uh, moving action and then not. Uh Uh-huh.
0: That's just a a personal aesthetic thing that
1: I like. Yeah, I like combining historical imagery with something new. I like playing with finding these these gems and archives that that aren't online yet, you can dig through the archives at the National Archives and find stuff that's never been released.
0: That is some dedication, my friend. (laughs) That is awesome. Because someone has to do it. That's that's how I look at it. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's fun for me. But the National Archive, they let you take your scanner in. So I take my personal scanner into my computer. And I have to wear the archival gloves. And then I just open a box and start scanning everything i see that looks interesting now on kind of on a personal note how, how many hours have you been there i did it once i went down there for like all day eight hours i did it still a lot yeah but i haven't gone back but maybe some someday
0: yeah i have a gut feeling that you're going to go back
1: yeah there's there's a bunch of archival images in denver i want to get my hands on at the denver library it has some images from my family and a great grandfather and stuff in it. Oh, that's cool. So I want to, f- I want to get those at some point. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What would your art say about your ideas? Lawrence Lee told me this, but uh, most art is mainly about the artist. It's a self-portrait in a lot of cases, and I'm finding that on this work I call the Eight. I was creating it and then realized why I was creating it after I had created it. And it had to do with with people I know about their realization of, of gender identity. So it was funny how I put these things in there and then I look at it and go, well, I, I must be thinking about It's kind of subconsciously. But hmm. so I guess it's about me. I don't know. On, on one level on or one another. level. But yeah. it's also about ideas that I have about. How the world works, or even discarded worldviews that I used to have, mm-hmm. just because they're kind of an interesting uh, thing to hang ideas on, uh, myths. Yeah. The idea of there's these myths that that are there that kind of resonate with people, and they have for millennia. Yeah, but you can hang some new ideas on them. There often there's props, but they do contain some elements of some sort of truth about what it means to be a human and what do we do about disagreements, what do we do about wars, and and how do we solve problems as a species and Mm. how we interrelate with each other. In some sense, I'm trying to communicate ideas without alienating people. Mm -hmm. Through art, you can often say things that you can't say directly. Yeah. Or you can hide it. I mean, not everyone will understand it right away. Maybe someday they'll say, oh, that's about... That's about this.
0: yeah. Or, or the term Easter egg, really.
1: Right. Yeah. We recently watched a documentary on Warhol. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting that all these symbols you see in his art, you didn't really know what they meant. Right. Like the, the Paramount symbol. I didn't know he had a basically a spouse that was worked for Paramount, that was an executive in Paramount. And that, that image shows up all over in a lot of his art, so... Just the the backstory behind that was very, which kind
0: of goes back to why I was asking the question. Sometimes you can't help but bring in what's going on in your own life into your work, mm-hmm. and, and some people welcome that, some people try to remove that, mm-hmm. so that, that's why I kind of wanted to ask that question. It was more direct than I usually ask other uh-huh. people, so yeah,
1: and started out as a hobby. I just started making art just as something as a mental health almost sort of. Thing.
0: I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Oh yeah, I mean it is. What's the, the joke goes? It's like you, you should always have a hobby. You know? <laughs> All right, another good hard hitting question here. What might be
1: something about your work that people may not understand? I don't know. They might understand it. I don't know. But a lot of the religious references, maybe. I guess you'd have to be pretty focused on just what I'm doing to kind of pick out what it is. But from a surface level, yeah, you may not pick up on some of the references, but people might not understand is how much effort, the effort it takes to make artificial intelligence art. People may think it's... No, I admit, it's, it's I'm one of those people too. I mean, more it's like behind a, the curtain. Right. You you just kind of push some buttons and these images appear. Yeah. There's a lot of prep work and it's a lot of experimentation and lack of control. It's not like you know what you're getting. With a painting, you can kind of, if you're good you at painting, it. Yeah. you can control where things are. Yeah. Or maybe not, maybe you wanna be more random, you know, kind of like a Jackson Pollock Pollock yeah. right, right, or John Cage or something, oh John Cage, yeah, I guess it's more of the the personal references the the ideas about uh, maybe even people who aren't interested in computers, maybe they don't quite pick up on. Uh, the history of computers coming out of military yeah. technology and the major advances being ones built for war or for defense, as in that that SAGE computer, it didn't quite work very well because soon after the bomber was built, they everybody built missiles and the system was obsolete. Yeah. But um, so those, it's a hard question for me, I guess. But I do want to go back to something we just
0: said a moment ago about control. So you you basically are using AI as part of your process, a part of your uh-huh. work, uh, and you, we've been talking about so far about how you don't really have a lot of control. Mm-hmm. It, that is also part of the process, right? Is right. It, and I guess the kind of also tied into this question is so people may not really understand that you know you accept not being in control of the, what the work is doing.
1: Right. I often say it's like painting a it's painting a fine art painting with a roller.
0: <laughs> I like that. <laughs>
1: you, you can't quite control what's going on. Right. You can overlap things and sort of get the shapes. Yeah, you get close. Yeah, something. If you make it big enough. But if you have a big roller and a very small painting, it's a little bit difficult. Yeah, that would be clumsy. <laughs> but I've always liked playing with the idea of randomness and entropy. So I, in the computer world, there's the idea of uh, computers don't work very well without randomness. Okay. No, there's a component of randomness to them. There's an entropic oh. to, to get encryption. Yeah. To do encryption on a computer, you need some or something random. So they have special chips that just generate random data, like real random data, not pseudo-random. Right. Um, okay. So they, a lot of this AI stuff is enabled by randomness. The mm. base of AI is static. You have to start with something, and in that something is static, which it gets me into the ideas of the origins of the universe. Yeah, and and the static in space, the big bang buzz—that's the noise. It's the noise of the universe. That fun fact is B flat. It's B flat. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it is.
0: There is noise. It, yeah,
1: but it is a note.
0: It is a note. It is an actual which note. Is, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that's interesting yeah but the evolution of humans or the the spawn of life out of that randomness so the the ai is like the spawn of life out of this randomness to so that uh, origin of the universe life it kind of feeds into my my process yeah so i explored this in my research of non-joon and John Cage and their ideas of randomness. They influenced each other. But Namjoon Paik being from a Asian background was often used randomness as a, an element of to make decisions in art. Hmm. He wouldn't always know which, so His art is very messy. He had yeah, it said is. it's messy and people don't understand it because it's messy or appreciate it. But that was by design so those are some of the
0: well and then i think of the duality of it because then there's also the fact that you are could do some controlling that that the curation
1: ah yes yeah so
0: that is also a very interesting duality of the randomness
1: versus the control or right you know yeah i guess i overcompensate the lack of control with being able to generate billions of images and Mm. select the best ones yeah so sort of i am i am in control at some level but I can't necessarily move a pixel around and change it, but I do post-processing sometimes. I'll go in and edit images sometimes to make them more aesthetic or...
0: Yeah, because we were talking, like, you do use, like, a lot of video programs. Uh, Yes. Like you said, you you use, like, After Effects and, you know, Uh um, you, like, use Photoshop, things like that. Photoshop. But it's just to play cleanup, not necessarily any form of direct reimagining what the AI created.
1: Yeah. And usually I'm doing uh, a collage there, a digital collage, I Mm -hmm. guess, where I combine a still image with a video image and put other images on top of it. A lot of them are images I created from AI. I'm just combining them onto one place. Right. A, A lot of the AI images, I just take out a part of it or crop it. They all come out square and my current models are all. They're all square images, so I crop them to be sixteen nine format or whatever format's needed for the exhibition I'm in or the right yeah because it's own. more of just a, a practical reason not, right yeah you know, yeah, not an aesthetic I, reason i yeah, I kind of wish they yeah. had round screens and you know different shape you know you're not the only person to say that <laughs> they have square ones now, they're yeah. expensive, but uh you can find square screens, digital screens, but different shapes are. Not as common. Hopefully one day we'll have round screens. (laughs) In a way, that would be kind
0: of hot. Yeah. So uh, what kind of projects do you have coming up that
1: you can talk about? Well, I have a new one called Sage Anomaly. It's the next part of the story. A lot of elements from previous artwork I've done. And this is the project where I have the 303 pieces. They're on a platform called uh, Async Art. They have images again, of this computer, a lot of images of the SAGE computer and other computers like one at NASA and then images of the entity and images of the cosmic soup. They're more abstract. They're layered. The system allows me to create images for each layer there's like 16 different layers or so Ooh. and they all overlap so there's a base there's a background layer right. and another a foreground layer and a couple middle layers and there's a frame layer on the frame layer i have the words of the story around the edge now out of curiosity is it the frame layer more on the top of the everything or is it it's the top one it is the very top okay yeah it it goes on top of everything but it goes all around the edge as inspired by roland dollar wilson the monkey painter he puts his stories around the frames on a lot of his work so some of the layers have holes in them and there's another background layer behind it so depending on the random choice that it makes at the time you'll get different images there and it can generate like 70,000 combinations but I'm only allowing it to stop at 303 so I don't know exactly what people will get
0: right just to clarify so this is uh is nfts that's an nft soon
1: right okay yeah april 7th I believe okay so it, it's just the next part of the story it has some some scenes from a hospital with a guy in a bed that I found images on some archive that I found of medical research center, some people in beds, and combined with images of the entity, the three parts of the entity.
0: Yeah, that must take some time to find those kind of images to help work
1: with your story. Right, yeah, it does. There's. It's hard to find exactly the right, the right image. In the artwork, there's like three or four different models I created to build all the different elements of it, the different components in it. Some of it is stuff from previous projects that I'm combining together. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a lot of reuse and then uh, a couple of them are video pieces so of AI art that I've done.
0: So but like a percentage wise is it like a 50/50 of video and still or Oh this it...
1: this particular one there's yeah. two two video in. Just two. Just two. They're like the the limited edition. So if you're lucky you get one of those. And there's different rarity. There's some combination there's some images in the layers the mini layers that are not as common as others there's a a way in the tool to set what the percentage of probability that that image will show up in the mix Ooh, it must have took a while to figure that one out yeah well i actually did it twice the first time i did it i i had a bunch of misspellings in the story yeah Because it was around the frame, yeah, and uh, I did it in Photoshop, but I ended up destroying that one and starting over. So, yeah, it, it took a while. it took a month or Well,
0: more. like you said earlier, it's a, it's about exploring, actually going to work, what's not going to work, or right, what can't work, right, right. And it, it turned out better the second time. So, well, usually, much right. With it. <laughs> what advice would you give other artists that are in this space, of NFTs?
1: I would say it it's changing constantly. Don't set what your plan is in stone on it. It changes so rapidly. There's new platforms to be on or new technology. There's new there's new financial systems to explore and to incorporate in the art too. Yeah. Which I'm looking trying to build something that is more protocol art. It's more of tying into the smart contract layer. But so far I've been trying to set a path but it keeps changing. <laughs> even pricing models, they're always shifting as yeah. the market has adjusted and how cryptocurrencies go up in value and drop. The people buying the art has changed. There's a lot more artists that are producing work, art now. So the space f- for for capturing people's attention is uh, larger. I would say just keep keep minting new art, even if it doesn't sell. some people say, don't put art out until you sell the last piece. Hmm. But I'm more of just get it out there and mint it. Even if you don't sell it, you at least recorded it into history. I would
0: agree with you on that, yeah. Just do it in a way.
1: Right. I mean, you could do it and just save it on your hard drive and someday when the market comes back, put it out. But I found that the the timestamp is important. Stuff that I put it out in 2018... That I sold for twenty bucks is really valuable now, just because of that it came out in twenty eighteen. Yeah, because it was such a new market, and now people are coming in and going, "I want, I want something original." Ar- want some of the old, oh, stuff, the, old and, stuff? And I uh, do air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I like put it out there and get it in the into the people's, so people can see it. Yeah. Uh, That's what I like about NFTs is anybody can see it for free. It's like the greatest form of public art to me, is to put it out there and somebody might buy it and then you made some money off of it. And then people can still see it. It's not like it gets locked into a a seaport somewhere, into a port, what do they call those places? The port. Oh, yeah. The,
0: um, um, uh, Oh, yeah. The name is escaping me too because it is
1: basically a tax haven.
0: Yeah. Or, or, yeah, these big warehouses that are literally at airports or at, uh, and docks, ports, at docks. In seaports. Yeah. And... um more the affluent people will just store stuff there because they don't have to worry about collecting taxes because it's a uh, uh, it's in transit still. Yeah, technically, yes. Well, uh, not really, but it is. Right. That's that's a valid thing to kind of the way of looking at NFTs. That's that's true because it, it is a way that people can
1: look at it, and it's a way the artists can get paid for something. Right, and, and yet it's well, it's public for anybody who has internet at least. Well, well true. Yeah, that's kind of my my advice at the moment. It's (laughs) like that might change tomorrow, but uh, yeah, it's just the space is just so dynamic that it's hard for me to even keep up with what's going on.
0: Do you like that dynamic?
1: Out of curiosity, I mean, it's kind of chaos. It's kind of yeah. Yeah, I think I I guess I do. Uh, Just because it it gives you hope for a, a different model of the world, maybe. A different way, the whole uh, smart contract, cryptocurrency, a lot of people just see the surface, maybe yeah. the speculation of these ape pictures. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's just the surface. Underneath, there's all these, there's a weird eclectic mix of people building this stuff. Yeah. There's people from all the way from the spectrum on the right, all the way to the anarchists on the left. Yeah. But somehow they're all working together building this thing for their own purposes. But the parts of it kind of work as a sort of different sort of economy, an alternate economy maybe. And the ability to, to have control of not having to have a platform to be on. You don't have to be on Instagram or Patreon where these centralized models will change their direction. They're a business. Yeah, they are. They're going to pivot to something new. And they may abandon a lot of artists who do things a certain way. Yeah. And I see the these cryptocurrency, smart contract, Ethereum contracts as being pieces that you can compost, compostability. You can take them and combine them into new market models, which the law may not allow yet. There's Well, yet. There's some things you can do with them that we're not sure if the SEC will approve of or not, but the idea that the average kind of cuts out the, it gives access to some unique financial instruments that aren't always accessible to people with middle-class wealth or even low-class wealth. Yeah, yeah,
0: opportunities and exposure.
1: Right, right. And, and plus, if the platform disappears... If you architect the system right, the art and the transactions are still on the blockchain. Right. They don't disappear. Someone can come and rebuild a new platform that can display them. This happened recently with Hick at Nook. Uh, right. Yeah. Where the developer just abandoned it yeah. one day and took the whole site down. Yeah. And then other people came in and rebuilt it cuz all the data was still out there. It was still out there. It wasn't like uh MySpace <laughs> accidentally deleting <laughs> accidentally deleting some of their archives and suddenly all this all this culture has disappeared.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great analogy. That's a great example of of that. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: I've been picking up some of this stuff from uh A lot of these, a a good place I've been picking this up is from a a podcast called Interdependence. Okay. By uh, Holly Herndon, Matthew Dryhurst. Okay. They're musicians, and uh, they're building an AI model of Holly's voice. Oh, It's called Holly Plus. Yeah. I... Used her tool to wrote some music using some, uh, not AI, but uh, generative music tools. Yeah. And I ran it through her algorithm with her voice to generate music. And uh, hmm. she's, she has a DAO now, did Centralized Autonomous Organization. So I submitted it to that and got accepted. Congratulations. So yeah. So I'm part of that DAO, but they're going to release that soon. A bunch of other music artists... But that are more in the scene of experimental art have used her a i model to new music, and they're they're gonna release a drop in the next month or so of of that, but they have a very good podcast about politics and and a i and in the process and, too, or yeah, they talk some about how oh. they made it. They have a podcast and they have Holly the yeah. singer. They do tours of experimental art, mainly in Europe, in, in Berlin is where they're based. Oh, okay. But I've enjoyed hearing their podcast, where they explore cryptocurrency protocols and smart contracts and then kind of the some a bit about politics about it and just create the creative economy and uh, the ideas about platforms, an alternative to the centralized platforms.
0: So it goes back to what your advice is, don't get yourself set in stone.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, be careful about getting on a platform where you get locked into their model of the world. Exactly. When, when we have the tools to create our, our own unique personal model. That's true. Our own universe, actually. Right, and hope that other people are interested in exploring it. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again, sir. Sure, I appreciate you, you taking the time to come out here and do this. So. Yeah, it's been great. Thank this. you. Thank you. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Bard For taking the time to do the interview To learn more about Bard's work Go to bardeisen.com As well as his social medias At Twitter and Instagram At bardeisen To listen to past episodes of Artboxdnv Go to artboxdnv.com And don't forget Artboxdnv is on Instagram At artboxdnv Until next time, thank you for listening (laughs)